Okay, so um, welcome to this episode of the Trend Detection Podcast. Uh, I'm really pleased to invite uh, one of our partners on from Hinduja Tech. So we've got Samuel from Hinduja Tech who's joining us today. And we've got a really interesting discussion about what um, interesting projects Hinduja are working on, and in particular how they're sort of looking at their unique view, I guess, at digital transformation, and especially in the automotive industry. Well, I know there's a lot of, um, lot of success there as well and beyond as well i'm sure so if we just start um if i just invite you um samuel just to introduce yourself and, and maybe briefly who hinduja tech are and, and what they do i'm samuel i take care of pre-season marketing at hinduja tech i have totally 19 years of experience uh, in various different domains like automotive enterprise business consulting and digital transformation projects across various different industries like manufacturing and uh, other industries I've been in leadership positions in uh, in some of these roles and uh, now heading the pre-sales and marketing function at Hindu Chat Tech. Uh, Hindu Chat Tech is an organization uh, which is an integrated engineering and digital technology solutions provider serving global customers more than 70 uh, as, as we speak. And uh, the value which we create for the customers uh, through innovation are seen on the roads as we speak. Uh, we have delivered and excellent projects across multiple different customers across the globe. Hinduja Tech is an integrated uh, engineering and a digital technology solution provider focused on mobility segment. Uh, we are a part of Hinduja Group, which is a multi-million dollar business conglomerate. And we have more than 70 customers across the globe. Uh, the innovation which we have done for our customers can be seen on the road as we speak. Uh, we are an organization who always strive to, towards providing value to our customers through our engineering efforts and digital tech transformation initiatives. The key differentiator of Hinduja Tech is kind of, you know, uh, collaborating or fusing digital technology solutions and engineering uh, together to give value to our customers. And that's when we, we try to help our customers go faster time to market, better quality of products and the cost reduction of the entire product. So that's that's the interesting proposition which we have for our customers. Fantastic! No, really good overview yeah. there, Samuel. There's a couple of interesting points in there already. I'd like to pick out if that's okay. So you talked about Hinduja. Um, what I liked about that is that you're fuse, fusing together, if I can say it, project engineering and digital transformation. So maybe you could talk a little bit about that first of all, about how Hinduja Hinduja sorry uh, approaches that. I think it's an interesting question. Uh, if you take a, a case of an automotive product development, uh, the entire life cycle needs a digital touch, starting from the product planning, uh, the detail engineering and validation and prototyping, and finally to uh, you know release the product to the production. So everywhere you need to have a digital touch. For instance, we try to help uh, our customers in terms of uh, automating the process of, of manual checking, which was consuming so much of time. Um, wherein there was a need for a physical check uh, for a BAW part. We, we understood there is an issue there because they are consuming more time. So we kind of uh, tried to automate the process using a macro uh, application and then 95% of the time is reduced and they are now spending very less time for checking process which ensures the quality of the BAW parts. Similarly, we have done a similar case for an OEM, American OEM. Uh, wherein uh, the wind tunnel testing was completely virtually validated 
and the results was astonishing to see that more than 95% of the accuracy was achieved through a real uh, world physical testing as well. So that was the kind of accuracy we could bring in using digital tools like virtual validation tools, uh, which you've got in our organization. And uh, I think that, that that's where we're trying to kind of collaborate digital technologies in all phases across, across engineering so that we can get the engineering in a faster and automated way to our customers. And how do, I guess that, that obviously requires a lot of collaboration across those departments within Hinduja. How, how do you, or how, how do, how's the company sort of set up maybe culturally or otherwise to, to enable that collaboration? Because that sounds very important for both of those, you know, for the whole sort of journey, let's say. Yes, Neil, I think collaboration uh, is definitely the key. And that is uh, going to be both from internal perspective as well as with customers. I think we've been uh, uh, probably being successful in the past as well as in the present as we speak uh, in doing this collaboration with both these uh, stakeholders. Uh, we use different tools to do that for internal organization uh, to set the process, but not as a, a kind of a hard and fast tool to kind of being a blocker, but definitely an enabler to get the process up and running uh, to do a proper collaboration with internal stakeholders. With customers, definitely yes. Uh, especially in this terms of disruptive world with a lot of moving moving elements, which is kind of making it really hard for uh, any people to collaborate. But we use that as a enabler for us to collaborate well with the customers uh, to give a co-created model of delivering a product. Uh, when I say that, it's, uh, it's very uh, important for us to collaborate with the customers on a day-to-day -day basis wherein we have this on-site and offshore models where when we make the product when the customer is sleeping. So that is, that's that's a key where uh, we use that time difference to collaborate well uh, in terms of, uh, uh, you know, uh, being well with the communication and delivering a product on time. And in terms of, because obviously you, you run or are involved in lots, lots of different projects and very diverse projects how and you mentioned a knowledge platform there so what was interesting is how do you capture that knowledge and i guess also share that to improve you know future yeah. projects that's about acceleration uh, nine uh, second element is the speed right uh, the speed at which the disruption is happening in automotive industry is is is, is phenomenal and uh, uh, the oems the tier ones and tier twos and tier threes everybody is getting disrupted because of that so uh, the important element is the speed, right? So uh, if you want to make a profitable EV, it's a challenge in front of you. So the reason is very easy, right? So one is uh, to make an ICE with an existing supply chain, uh, everybody is tuned towards doing that. And the profits are already been seen. Now, when you take an EV, it's expensive to make an EV. So which means your profits are getting reduced. So how to make a profitable EV is a biggest challenge in front of the OEMs. And that's where I think OEMs need an innovative solutions provider or services partner or an engineering partner um, who has the capability of uh, thinking differently, thinking out of the box to get a solution um, for their complete transformation. May it be a, a engineering as well as digital transformation. Uh, they need a trusted partner who has a proven experts, expertise in doing that. Uh, the other part is to actually uh, use techniques like, so what we do uh, for our customers is that, uh, you know, uh, we help our customers in dating the product cost reduction using frugal engineering uh, as a technique. And then 
uh, use digital technology tools like uh, predictive maintenance, uh, you know, uh, industry 4.0 applications to help them to have an innovative. As I say that, I think uh, it's about our strengths, playing to our strengths. So we had the same challenge of how to make a product uh, cost effective so that the customers can make a profit. So we used techniques like frugal engineering, virtual validation, reducing the prototyping cost, and also playing a role in terms of setting up the manufacturing facility with innovative digital technology tools like Industry 4.0 implementation to make their complete transformation journey a profitable outcome. And that's why we say that we enable our customers with innovative, sustainable, and profitable outcomes. And in terms of, because obviously you run or are involved in lots, lots of different projects and very diverse projects how and you mentioned a knowledge platform there so what was interesting is how do you capture that knowledge and i guess also share that to improve you know future projects many customers have asked this question and we have kind of uh, answered it in a different way but right now i want to answer in a in a, in a much clearer way uh, when you take engineering or uh, digital technologies the key driver for revenue is going to be the knowledge and we have, we have been well aware of that and we have built a platform called Knowledge Management Platform which helps us to have all the knowledge which we have gained in all the projects across uh, multiple different uh, geographies and years in a single place so that that can be reused as an asset uh, in all our uh, projects execution. It is also a, a kind of a customized product a process for us uh, because we have been using that uh, customized process uh, for helping us to do execution pretty faster. Uh, the other way to look at is that uh, the sales enablement process, which is uh, a pre-acquisition of a customer, we help our sales pay force also with the same process, which is a pure, a pure. I think this is not. Primarily, this process is used for two uh, category of people. One is uh, the sales people. Or the person who are uh, involved in the customer acquisition process. Second one is a delivery process. So uh, during the sales enablement uh, process or sales acquisition process of a customer, uh, we help this knowledge management repository to be an asset for them to go through the entire life cycle of a sale without having somebody to really rework on certain things or probably help them on the field, it's all—it's a kind of on the field tool to help them to do the uh, to the complete sale. The second process is the delivery side, where uh, it helps the people who are involved in the pro projects to be more effective uh, as a tool to have the checks and balances to ensure the process is adhered and also delivered in an efficient way. No, that makes perfect sense. Um, so, what what I wanted to to move on to, and I mean. I guess with this conversation, we're sort of blending two topics, really. So it's digital transformation as a whole, but also very specifically within the automotive industry and, and where Hinduja's obviously your experience lies. What I wanted to start with actually is on the on your homepage, you actually quite a, sort of a quite a bold statement, I guess. Um, so I just wanted wondered if you um, could dive into that a little bit more. So what what you say is for the benefit of the audience, so you accelerate your transformation for sustainable, profitable innovation. So maybe you could explain a bit more about that. Uh, I think you've got that right, Neil. Uh, you've, you've gone through our website really well. Uh, acceleration of sustainable, profitable innovation is our motto, which you want to deliver to our customers. Uh, 
when you say acceleration, it's all about speed, right? So speed at which uh, things are happening right now, as we speak in the automotive industry, uh, is is really overwhelming because a lot of people are struggling to cope with this change or the pace at which it's really happening. Uh, maybe OEMs or tier ones or tier twos or three or threes um, doesn't matter. So, but everybody is undergoing a real change. Um, what they really need is an engineering or a digital partner who can really play an active role uh, in this transformation journey. Especially in the EV revolution which is happening, uh, making a profitable EV is a great challenge. And that's where the techniques like frugal engineering, uh, digital technologies come in handy in producing profitable results. And that's what we want to help our customers with. And that's the reason why we have mentioned that acceleration of sustainable and profitable innovation, which can be a value to our customers. When there is a need for a cost uh, reduction or probably making an optimum product with the highest quality is what we want to achieve through that statement. I know, and of course, no, that's 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 very clear. Um, what what interests me then? So you mentioned, and maybe for people in the audience, they might not know the differences between the different tiers that you talk about in tier one, tier two that you mentioned, and OEMs. And so I guess that is a starting question. But then as a follow up, it'd be useful to know whether, from your point of view, are they at different stages of their trans digital transformation journey? And it's quite a broad question, I know, because there's a lot of companies within those different tiers. But yeah. as a broad question on that, that'd be useful to, to dig into. Uh, Neil, actually, if you see from an automotive context, OEMs are the ones who manufacture the end product, which can be a passenger vehicle or a commercial vehicle. Uh, tier ones are the ones who supply uh, systems to the uh, OEMs. And tier twos are the ones who actually supply components to tier ones or directly to the OEM. Uh, tier threes are the ones who supply parts to the tier twos or directly again to the OEM. So these are the fundamental, uh, you know, a classification of the entire supply chain um, of, of any automotive industry. The second part of your uh, question, Nail, um, it's about, uh, uh, you know, digital transformation for all this kind of uh, different uh, tier one companies, tier two, tier three, as well as OEMs. So the scale is different, right? So when you when you when you do a digital transformation for OEM, it's a large scale implementation. But for a tier three company, it can be a small scale implementation, which can be achieved in a shorter span of time. So that's where I think the difference is. Uh, we have done uh, both the ends of digital transformation as well as engineering transformation for organizations. And I guess I mean, we've, uh, that's a really clear explanation actually on the, on the different tiers and how they work together. I guess. My, my point of interest is how, because obviously they'll have to work together in order, you know, to put in the different tiers, work together to create the, you know, the final product. So um, do you ever run projects which involves all three, three companies, say company from each different tier working together on a sort of a digital transformation project together? I'm just interested in sort of that collaboration element. Okay. Well, uh, Neil, I think we the, the short answer is no. We have not worked uh, across all the supply, the entire value chain of an automotive OEM, tier one, tier two, and tier three, all in one phase. But what we have done is uh, we have done implementations such as uh, enterprise systems such as uh, SAP um, for a large uh, commercial vehicle OEM. Uh, we also support the, them in terms of doing certain uh, you know, data transformation from a dealer management system, which is again a supplier or probably an extended arm of uh, their uh, OEMs, which is uh, where we take the data 
and we have done uh, digital transformation projects using AI uh, to help them to predict their uh, failure of an engine um, and that has helped, helped them in terms of reducing the warranty cost. So that is that, that kind of uh, systems we have done but not for the entire uh, supply chain like from starting from tier 1s, tier 2s and tier 3s and OEMs together, we have not done that. Um, also, I mean, that's, uh, that makes sense how you explain that there. I mean, would it be actually beneficial to have more projects like that where there's more sort of multiple companies involved in the same, in the same project? Would that be a, a, a benefit, do you think? Yes, Neil, I think it would be really beneficial to have that kind of project, but uh, we'll have to do some reality checks, right? So uh, we'll have to understand whether... Uh, you know, all the stakeholders will be in line with the one single uh, version of truth in place. It's very difficult to uh, you know line up those uh, stakeholders together to form a successful digital transformation journey, because you know uh, uh, the process by which uh, an OEM operates is different from the way in which a tier one or a tier two operates. So the scale is different. Uh, obviously, the stakeholder management will also be different. So it will be difficult to get that into a same line. But then. Um, I would say, in reality, no, it's it's, it's not going to be beneficial. Yeah, because I imagine it's, I think there's a question about this later, but it's hard enough to um, line up different stakeholders in one company for a project, That's let right. alone across multiple companies. So yeah, I'll definitely take your point on that one. Um, yeah. So if we if we just dive in now into, and this is in relation after looking at your website, it's an interesting question. It's So it's really, what, from your point of view, what are the key strategic priorities for aut automotive companies should focus on right now uh, in order to accelerate their sort of digital transformation? So what are the five things they need to look at, I guess, first of all, initially? According to our experience, uh, the top five priorities for any uh, digital transformation initiatives would be uh, making your smart product smarter, making your supply chain digital and connected manufacturing, engaging a changing workforce, uh, because you, you see the, the way in which the uh, the entire realm of uh, youngsters are changing. Uh, how do you, how do you kind of kind of manage them? How do you challenge them with the right challenges so that they can stick on to the vision which you have for the organization? That's that's very important from my perspective. Customer centricity, because I always tell my team members that you know uh, what if the customer thinks is very important for you to understand what the product you're going to deliver to the customer. So even uh, in our team, uh, we, we have a practice of having a customer-focused uh, conversations, which helps us to be uh, pretty productive as well as uh, you know useful for the customers to whom we are serving. The fifth one would be building a business model, which is new in nature, agile and providing the right mobility services. So these are all the top five priorities, especially in terms of uh, automotive context. I guess it'd be interesting to get your point of view as well. Often um, I hear and I talk to people who talk about how, well, I think often this happens in organizations where technology is purchased before a business um, problem is identified. So it's all doing it the other way around. Is that something that, that you see from your experience? <laughs> Yes, I have seen this scenario in my past experience where uh, digital solutions are adapted for a particular business problem on a piecemeal basis without having the big picture in mind. That's the issue, right? Uh, and finally, having a, uh, you know, developing something called a, a software hardball syndrome, which is dangerous. Uh, that is where 
you know uh, every department has its own kind of software choices or technology choices then we are not able to integrate with each other and that's causing a big uh, issue at the top because the top management is not able to see what's happening in the shop floor and that is very dangerous we need a proper discovery phase that's what we advise our customers uh, to identify the issues in a holistic manner then run a small pilot which will help you to understand the technology which you need to choose as well as what kind of uh, kind of goes into the production and can we go on live with a better approach uh, this needs a proper stakeholder management with all the stakeholders getting you know buying in uh, what they really want and how kind of that kind of getting implemented that's going to be the perfect recipe for a successful digital transformation initiative that's my view nay Right. I'd say it's a fantastic answer. And actually, it leads very nicely into the next question, which I think is, is loosely related. So it's not just about having the right people in the room, but it's, I'm sure you'll agree, not to put words in your mouth, but also culture is a key part of that. And having a culture for change and, um, and with a mindset to focus more on digital transformation and the benefits of that. So is that something you, you'd subscribe to as well? Of course, yes, Naim. Asking a user to switch from a manual system-based process needs a cultural change. Not only that, asking a user to switch from a green screen application, which uh, I have seen in many of my implementations, they have so much of resistance to change to a proper user interactive screens. Uh, that's that's the key to the kind of uh, change management we need to handle. This is all about the mindset uh, towards the change. Adapting a change with a pinch of salt will help the organization see the results. I have seen in my many implementations wherein the user buys in, uh, or a user buy-in uh, decides the success of the project, and that's that comes only when you have a cultural orientation of the change is the only thing which is constant. Man, that's fantastic. And is it is it also an acceptance? Is it I guess also important? There's an acceptance that projects won't always run smoothly. There'll always be things that that will happen that can you know, that no one could really plan for. Is that is that part of that culture is just to sort of, rather than see it as a big issue, is how to work together in order to solve it as quickly as possible and keep the projects on track? Projects derail mainly because of a memory issue, I would say, because you, you, you just forget what you actually committed on day one and the plan which you put on day one and the scope which you fixed on day one. That's very important for us to understand. And that's where the project managers communication is very important to stick onto the line or the path which you've laid on. Uh, we don't generally uh, follow what we accept on day one. Uh, we can't have project uh, fail because of a scope creep. We have to have the acceptance mindset to ensure the project is on track by keeping the scopes, timeline, as well as the cost budget uh, in track so that the project can be a success. No, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I wanted to, next question is going to focus on the automotive industry specifically and sort of maybe wider, I mean, you could focus it around industry 4.0 digital transformation challenges, but in the work, the current climate we're living in, there's lots of global factors, let's say, um, in the world. But from your point of view in speaking to automotive um, companies, what are the sort of key challenges they're facing right now? Recently, I visited one of our group companies to do an audit of the present state uh, towards a digital transformation initiative. If that's okay, I can share my experiences from the, from the ground. Uh, uh, their main objective was to transform the organization into a smart manufacturing facility through automation as a first step, and then moving towards engineering uh, our industry 4.0. 
but when I, when we walked through the floor, the shop floor, I found three different generations of machines. Honestly speaking, uh, the, the first one was the recently bought one where they can easily get the data out of uh, the machine and pass it onto the cloud through an Ethernet connection. Um, the second generation would be uh, the PLC enabled, uh, you know, uh, connectivity missions where I need a device driver specific to a particular mission make, maybe Fanuk or Siemens or whatever uh, the company or the mission make is, I will have to have the device driver to get the data from the machine. Uh, I talk about data because I want to ensure that the data is a key driver for all your digital transformation initiatives because data, data is a key for the right decision making is what I believe. The third generation of machine is uh, almost 30 years old uh, with only serial ports to get connected. So this is where our partners and technology ecosystem of connecting to any generations of machines and getting the data and using that data for analysis is making accurate decision is helping us to be successful digital transformation partner. The second challenge would be the ROI. So, I mean, they asked, right? I mean, uh, you want me to want me to kind of make my mission alive by adding some sensors to collect the data, uh, which is going to give me an ROI and what time value you're looking at. That's a, that's a practical question which comes out of anyone who is in the shop floor or even the managing people. Uh, do I really uh, need to do so much of investment for my change management? It's the biggest question which comes in. Uh, do I need to sensorize my entire shop floor to collect the data, which I am peacefully running the shop floor without any such, such kind of data right now? Of course, there are downtimes, but I'm able to manage that. But the, 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 the fact is that you know uh, people don't understand what kind of benefits they are losing uh, because of not capturing the data and what kind of revenue they're losing because of not capturing the data as a part of their Industry 4.0 initiative. Automation is not really the focus of Industry 4.0. Automation is uh, just the first step, but making that automation to a smarter level by collecting the data and making the right decisions would be the best possible solution for any Industry 4.0 solution. Uh, this is where I think uh, in a, in a case of a predictive um, maintenance solution, for instance, you're, you're, you're running an assembly shop and you're kind of, uh, you know, uh, having a one breakdown a day and that stops the entire assembly line. The reason is that that particular machine was not, uh, you know, maintained properly or it is, it is overheating that's not getting captured in any system. And that's where the problem is, right? And this is where our partner Sensei comes in with a beautiful ROI calculator where they can calculate the ROI even before uh, uh, you actually go and implement the solution because with the data what is getting collected in the present shop flow. Uh, then make it a scalable implementation over a period of time to take this forward at a larger scale. So that's what is the approach uh, towards the challenge which we have faced uh, in the recent time, especially in digital transformation initiatives. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned data because it's such a it's a key part of di I mean digital transformation and in our, in our world of predictive maintenance or asset intelligence too. Um, so I, I just wanted to wonder from your from your perspective, it, do your customers find uh, I mean, what challenges do they have with their data? I mean, a lot of the time I speak to um, to manufacturers 
and they and there's there are at a point where they've collected a lot of data, but they sort of don't know in lots of different places, but don't know how to use it in order to get real business insights. So, I mean, I might have put some words in your mouth there, but it'd be interesting from your point of view. Um, I mean, do customers um, approach you thinking they've got great data and they don't, uh, and vice versa? They <laughs> they think, oh, we haven't got a lot, but actually, there's some real, you know, real uh, nuggets in there to 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 start with. Yeah. So maybe you could just dive into that a little bit. It's a poor reflection of data governance, right? I mean, um, this causes massive loss of vital information for organization as well as for our customers. It requires decluttering, sometimes migration, then normalization and movement of this data to a proper centralized database. And that's what we call as data engineering, right? So uh, like departments like, you know, engineering, supply chain, manufacturing, uh, various different departments in an organization uh, is where all the data lies. I mean, these silos have to be collected uh, in a right way so that it can be used for reporting purposes. And that's when your data travels from your shop floor to the top floor in a, in a much better way. I mean, how do you collect this data? And connection of this data happens through data engineering. It's very important for you to understand because that's where I think uh, companies like ours uh, help us to kind of, um, you know, get the domain context into the data so that we can make a meaningful uh, logic out of the data and uh, it has to be taken to a big data you know kind of a lake or a pool and then doing the business analytics on top of it uh, is where you can actually track all your kpis which helps us to derive meaningful information out of the data uh, the other one is uh, I, would, I would probably go for a uh, you know, example a use case which we did for our customers one of our customers uh, from a South Korean OEM, where they wanted to analyze the data uh, from, to understand the customer buying preferences or the customer's intent of buying uh, using the data which they collect in the dealer management system at every dealerships, right? So we want to take all the dealerships and uh, data and then put it, put it onto a pool of uh, data lake and apply an algorithm on top of it to find out what kind of buying preferences based on certain logic which is uh, confidential to them uh, to get this uh, into a beautiful uh, meaningful uh, decision making model and that is what is enabling our smart decision making and actually as you mentioned sort of predictive maintenance it's um, it's a topic that's sort of grown over the years uh, and obviously become more and more important i guess in line with digital transformation and industry 4.0 i think we're seeing more customers especially what i was saying before about they're collecting data and need and want a way to be able to draw business insights from that but from your experience in the market talking to customers are they are they now fully believers in the power of predictive maintenance technology and what it can do or is there still some sort of skepticism out there or doubts uh, industry 4.0 is not a software I would say it's, it's it's a combination of both hardware and software, the OT and IT together. Uh, that's how we get the data. And then a lot of times, you know, uh, in production lines, one machine stops, the entire line stops. And uh, how do you prevent that? Uh, what is the reason behind the machine getting stopped? Uh, that is just because, you know, uh, you do not, you're not able to predict when the machine is going to fail, uh, you know, before time or on time. So uh, you can avoid uh, the... The, the entire assembly line getting shot, uh, stopped. So what generally happens in a plant is that, you know, they do planned maintenance. Uh, most of the time, 
uh, organization uh, organizations tries to uh, you know do routine checks as a part of your PM schedules. There are monthly, the weekly, the daily preventive maintenance schedules. That's how they work. I mean, that's how preventive maintenance schedule works. But you can't check every every parameter as a, as a routine way. And sometimes you know the parameters which are not getting captured as a part of your uh, routine checks is going to be a crucial parameter for your mission to get failed uh, without notice. And that's going to be a major problem for your uh, the, the line, the assembly line, whatever you're going to uh, work on. So uh, I would say that, uh, just we need a pause here, okay. Uh, so this is where the pre predictive maintenance uh, software comes in handy. And uh, that's, that's why I would call it as a two digital transformation initiative because you are able to keep your line moving on the time before any failure happens. And that's kind of giving you a kind of uh, confidence on your customer commitments and the revenue flow, everything. I mean, many parameters to, 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 to tell about. Uh, so I can give an example of a manufacturing because, you know, uh, Sensa is one of our partners where we work with them uh, to help our customers uh, with a beautiful algorithm which helps us to predict the failure of the missions before it happens. The beauty of it is like, you know, you can be sure that uh, uh, the investment you are putting on the software and uh, to predict your failure can give you an ROI in just three months time frame. And that's going to be a confidence booster for anyone who is doing a pilot implementation. And uh, they also have something called ROI lock, which helps us to, uh, again, get more confidence that, you know, uh, if I do this, I'm not able to get my ROI on time, then the entire money of the software implementation is just written back. And that's the kind of lock, which is uh, a confidence booster for anyone who is looking at predictive maintenance as a futuristic thing. They can try now and they can definitely get, uh, uh, you know, uh, reap the benefit out of it. Especially the plants who are looking at sensorization as an initiative. If they go for a pilot, do the sensorization, try a sensor with an ROI lock, and then get the benefit out of that pilot implementation, then go large scale, then of course you're getting your two benefits. One is your predictive maintenance uh, is on, on schedule and you're, you're not going to fail in your uh, process. Number two, your shop flow is getting modernized with the modern sensors and the data is on the shop flow to the top floor. That's the twin benefit you get. Yeah, no, exactly. And actually that was one of the questions on, on our list to ask today. And you sort of talked about it there about combining those data sources. So how important is it to combine those data sources? Um, and I get using diff integrating different technologies to do that. What, what's how important is that in the grand scheme of things? In the grand scheme of things, the person who's sitting on the top floor needs to understand what's happening right now in the shop floor. So which means uh, for every mission, what is the condition of mission right now? That's the condition monitoring. What's happening in a particular production line, whether I'm meeting my production targets today or not? I may have many systems like MERS, predictive maintenance, ERP systems like SAP, Oracle, whatever it is. The data which I'm getting from the system is going to help me or not. The downtime data, the break time data, the production reporting data, all these are getting into my production reporting system. The scenario is that these are the shop floor systems probably a mid shop floor system I would say or uh, production supervisors supervision systems these are uh, lying away from uh, you know the, the, the top floor systems that's basically away right 
for instance you you have uh, plm systems uh, which is used by the engineering department so a product and product engineering team needs to understand where the field failures are happening when i say field is away from engineering right so how much uh, field failures are reported back to the production or product engineering team then it also has to correlate with the production or manufacturing process where there is a need for a change in the process so that i can produce a quality output so all these are pretty relevant and these need to be connected definitely yes especially and there is seeing a lot of uh, field failures in fact uh, we have one of our um, customers who gave a real time problem uh, of finding out how do we correlate a field failure uh, towards uh, a kind of a warranty uh, cost of an engine so that we want to reduce the warranty cost of an engine by predicting the failure of a particular engine now uh, what we did was collecting the data from the field through uh, the engine ecus and kind of applying an ai algorithm out of it and uh, trying to get that data uh, and predict the failure so that the dealers can understand the fleet owners can understand that this engine is has, having an issue right now so that you can fix it right now to avoid further failure or a breakdown of the particular uh, you know uh, engine so this kind of solved the business problem with the use of digital technology and that's what we are interested in yeah and with different data sources i guess a lot of the time they're managed let's say by different departments sorry different departments and different stakeholders so and i know we we briefly touched on the importance of stakeholder engagement you gave a really good example earlier on but it more specifically i mean which stakeholders should be involved in these projects in order to you know for effect most effective collaboration on these projects and uh, i think as i told you the project sponsor is a key stakeholder in the entire steering committee and uh, i have seen many projects going live successfully with the steering committee uh, acting effectively with a project sponsor being as a part of the steering committee and uh, the reason why i tell this is that you know uh, the project sponsor helps to steer uh, i know he he kind of you know ultimately it's it's his neck and uh, he has to protect his neck so he kind of takes the right decision to uh, be at the steering committee at any point of time uh so the execution we need a proper business analyst the data scientist to collect the data and uh, the relevant technical people to understand uh, how this data is kind of getting into the system or taking the system taking the data away from the system so to make a more meaningful sense so with hinduja tech the key advantage is the domain expertise so we have the knowledge of automotive value chain the entire process starting from you know product engineering to manufacturing to the dealers and aftermarket so that that helps us to understand the business very quickly and apply that into the digital world by collecting the right data for instance there is a failure with but but there is a process issue with a uh, with a machine breaking down wherein there is a need for us to understand what kind of machine is that what kind of failure is that for example um uh, there is a hmc the uh, in a shop floor where the spindle is failing uh, spindle failure happens because of what in a hmc uh, this reason can be proven with the combination of data collected from the machine as well as the local knowledge the tribal knowledge of a particular person who is sitting in the um, uh, in the shop floor or a, or a person like uh, or a company like ours uh, we have that knowledge to understand how the machine operates what kind of failures this machine will undergo on top of that Uh, if you are able to predict the failure through an algorithm 
and that's when the magic happens. I would not leave anyone uh, who's on the top, uh, shop floor because key stakeholders are the ones who's operating on the shop floor uh, who are the users, the end users. They are also key stakeholders for successful projects. Almost, yeah, like end users. So I think, I think a lot of the time end users are sometimes, not, not in, in your case, I'm sure, but in some cases uh, are forgotten about. And, and at some points, um, and I've talked to different um, companies about this, where IT plays slightly different roles depending on who you're, which company you're speaking to. So sometimes technology is sort of enforced from IT, so they say you must use this tool. Whereas other times it's the people maybe on the shop floor or above that who go to IT and say, actually, we want this tool. Please go through your procurement and checks. I mean, which which of those scenarios do you see sort of most often, or do you see a bit of both? Um, uh, we see a bit of both, uh, but we ensure that the best business practices are implemented without compromising on the user experience. But how does it sort of affect the project rollout in those two scenarios with IT? So IT in one scenario are sort of being told to purchase something, whereas in the other scenario, they're actually, um, they're the ones driving it. Does that change the project and how it's rolled out in any way? Or if, it, or if not, that's fine as well. <laughs> User experience is very important because that's where you collect the right data. So if they're not able to use the software properly, then your data input or your interaction is not going to be useful. Uh, you'll have, you can't make quick or smart decisions when you don't have a proper data. Uh, that happens when you actually impose a software on the user. But rather have a clear, meaningful uh, requirements collected from level of end users up to the uh, top managements, then to transaction recording person, and then to kind of a person who converts the date transactions, meaningful reports, all these levels, we should be able to collect the requirements properly and then probably you can float an RFQ with all the requirements to a software vendor to understand whether this can be satisfied with a soft solution or probably even work around or probably do a customization to according to their needs, which is which can be pretty unique for any any industry. And that's how I would just go about a project rollout. And, it, and it's something we touched on before briefly, I guess for a lot of these projects, customers want to understand how they can show the return on investment in order to justify Sort of budget. So, how how would you go about advising your customers to sort of build a let's say a business case, I guess, which involves obviously return on investment quite heavily, or potential return on investment? I would probably start with a problem statement, a collection of problem statements uh, in terms of uh, the KPIs. Uh, is what is your like? For instance, you have your overall equipment effectiveness. What kind of downtimes you have? What kind of customer lead times uh, you have committed? Uh, those kind of things actually drive uh, with collecting the data. So getting all this data helps us to put a very clear business case. Uh, and there is a reason for you to implement, let's say, predictive maintenance or industry 4.0 solutions and uh, get the benefits, which is nothing but you are away uh, so that you can get, you're going to get the investments uh, with so much of dollars in the software. So which is going to help you save many a uh, number of dollars by reducing the inefficiencies in the operations, probably reducing the downtime by 50% or improving the customer commitments. That's very important for any manufacturing unit. And uh, I'll just note it's one of our questions here is around sort of KPIs in relation to the production line. So I guess, first of all, what, what would those be and how do they form part of that 
that process you were just explaining then? OEE of a plant, which is overall equipment effectiveness, manufacturing cycle time, the throughput time, the downtime, and uh, probably the quality output of, uh, of, of, of a plant. And these are my uh, key KPIs, which helps me to understand my shop is producing what I'm intended to produce, when and how, which means the quality metrics. And actually, not just in terms of predictive maintenance, but wider use case. So I think, I think it's a good opportunity to give you and Hinduja uh, an opportunity to, like examples of customer success and internal investment. Have you, what sort of, um, what are the best, most successful projects? Have you got stats that you could share around those at all? 20 30% of uh, warranty cost reduction for large commercial OEM that I can think of. And the other one is uh, more than 150 million revenue generated using our mobile platform application, which we developed for spa, spare parts sales, mm -hmm. which has helped again uh, OEM for improving their sales from dealer as well as from fleet owners. No, absolutely. Um, I wanted to, you mentioned OEMs again. I just wanted to touch on the, the relationship again between OEMs and um, vehicle manufacturers. And what, from your point of view, what, how do you think technology can enhance that relationship further, let's say? Again, relationship from uh, enterprise system perspective is maintained nowadays through data exchanges through EDI transactions, collaborative supplier and customer portals, etc. Uh, from engineering standpoint, the relationship extends much beyond imagination. I, I would say that it's a kind of extended engineering arm because OEMs are nowadays dependent on tier ones uh, on their expertise in particular areas. So that way the relationship really, uh, relationships are really well maintained and uh, uh, the dependency is also really high. And I guess at the heart of that, again, it's something we've mentioned before, but it, I guess the key part of that is, joy, is joined up systems, but also automation, especially in the back office functions where there's a lot of admin. I think, is that another thing, another area that um, organizations should be looking at? Um, in my previous experience, I've seen a lot of automation process happening, especially in suppliers, uh, you know, for example, if you are trying to create a purchase order, you would like to actually go and search for a supplier uh, with whom you can make a purchase order, uh, or probably find out the suppliers to whom you can float all your RFQs, uh, for which you need to have an automated function of, based on your past purchases, how do you really float these to the respective or probably the actual uh, suppliers who are related to this particular product? Um, and this was automated through, through through a kind of AI engine, which will automatically trigger the supplier's name, a list of names, so that that can be forwarded to the RFQ. And similarly, while selecting the RFQ, it will automatically do a matching of your requirement versus their code, and accordingly, it will give you a suggestion. Of course, you have to take a decision. Another example would be, uh, you know, after you place a purchase order, they deliver the goods, and then they send so much of physical copies of invoices. So how do you convert these physical copies of invoices into your digital copy? And there were scenarios where uh, more people used to actually do data entry of thousands and thousands of invoices every day. It used to be a backlog and a lot of delay in supply payments, uh, very, very, very uh, difficult to handle, especially in terms of business commitments and, and uh, payment commitments. Um, so what we did was to digitize the entire process by do, using a scanning system. 
and uh, doing an auto matching of invoices, the quantity, the value, automatically it will create an invoice document so that it will help you to kind of automate the uh, entire process of payment uh, pretty easily, right? You know, two clicks, you'll be able to do the uh, entire invoicing entry automatically and uh, you can do the payment triggering on time. So that actually saves so much of time, effort as well as money. And that also helped you to pay the suppliers on time. And uh, that, that really made a magic, I would say. Uh, similarly, with reference to customer interaction, you will have to actually have your forecast uh, from the customer uh, going to the respective department on time. Your production planning happens based on that. So all these uh, things are manually done and how it can be systemized to take your production forecast straight away to create a work order, probably by sending that to the MES system so that that MES can create a work order for you and start your production, day-to-day -day production activities. So, you, I mean, it's, 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 it's pretty simple when I say, but it really takes a lot of time to analyze this business challenges and try to give a, a good solution. So overall, I think digitization uh, helps you to achieve these kind of uh, uh, business challenges in a, in a much better positive manner. Right, fantastic, fantastic. Um, as we sort of draw to the end of our conversation, I, I just wanted to touch on some other technology and your thoughts on, well, some of it's going on presently, but uh, as we move forward as well, how certain technologies are going to really help automotive manufacturers and, and beyond, actually. So if we start with, so digital twins and how that's applied at automotive customers and how and I guess also how they can take advantage of technology because again it, it might seem like something that's far away <laughs> or out of reach but maybe you'll tell me something different I don't know. Digital twin, uh, twin is not a technology uh, which is far away from reality. I mean first let me define what is digital twin. Digital twin refers to a surrogate that is a description of a physical asset uh, such as one or more products, process, systems, people and devices that can be used for various purposes. A digital Twin makes use of data to and from its real-world asset and may change in tandem throughout the life cycle of the physical asset. Digital Twin for vehicle, shop load, testing, supply chain, various different use cases are there in the real-time scenario. Uh, for instance, digital twins in manufacturing help to uh, monitor and optimize the production process, model multiple scenarios for new equipment or machinery, and identify the areas where new production process can be improved or optimized, by uh, thus resulting in a reduced downtime. So that's that's a pretty uh, straightforward use case uh, in terms of digital twin, especially from a manufacturing perspective. We've also got digital twins in terms of vehicles, uh, where the entire vehicle data can be modeled in the system and then it can feed in uh, the real-time data from uh, the, the the testing scenarios or probably from uh, any any kind of road conditions to the actual model in the engineering data that helps you to kind of understand and probably uh, you know uh, model or re-engineer your data according to the real-time scenarios yeah no that's amazing i can really see the benefit of that as well as that becomes more um, let's say more more utilized in, in the manufacturing world. And also, so lastly as well, so obviously AI is sort of close to sort of Sensei's heart as well. So maybe you could talk a little bit about predictive maintenance, but I'm also interested in other sort of AI type use cases as well that you've come across. Um, and again, um, 
is something that we we're always trying to say that AI isn't magic. I think you actually mentioned that phrase earlier about <laughs> things not being magic, but I think that's especially true of AI as well. Predictive maintenance is one of the use cases which is getting familiar in the industry as has seen its uh, benefits over a period of time, I think in the recent, recent times, by improving the uh, algorithms and different models which are coming out of the predictive maintenance, uh, which is going to help the accuracy of the results. But then there are AI models which are available uh, in the market, uh, which are used for a common specific uh, you know, um, uh, e-commerce market and those kind of stuff. But we need an uh, algorithm uh, or the models which will help us to predict the failures of uh, machines in the manufacturing scenario. So that is where I think Sensei comes into picture and that's, that's very important for uh, us to understand uh, which will help us to, uh, which tool will help us to actually predict the failure of machines. Especially I have seen that uh, working in automotive scenario where uh, predictive main algorithms of uh, Sensei has saved millions of dollars. So that is, that's one thing I would probably uh, be appreciative of this tool. Secondly, as I told you earlier, we have applied AI algorithms to predict failures of engines and save some warranty cost. And uh, that is again a use case which we identified to solve a business problem. And that is that's actually the benefits for the customer. Right. Fantastic, fantastic. And I guess just as a fi another final thought, um, are there other technologies that you're sort of seeing that are becoming maybe just under the surface and will be, let's say, a fixture in five to 10 years' time? Is there any examples you can give in that area? With 5G in place, uh, connected infrastructure, connected factories are the future technologies, which will be seen as reality in the next five to 10 years. Right. No, that, that sounds great. So I think just before we finish, well, first of all, um, maybe you could summarize your thoughts briefly about um, the key takeaways here for um, whether it's manufacturers, whether it's automotive companies, like how, what are the first steps to take on their digital transformation journey? And then and then following that, um, just how people can find out more about Hinduja Tech and, and what you do. So my take would be to uh, have a digital transformation in the disruptive world where we have so much of business challenges um, to have a respective solutions using digital technologies and that I would call it as digital transformation. The focus is to have the right tools available in the market because everybody has a different need. But there is always, uh, there are leaders who may impose software on your uh, users, but then that's not going to help you. Uh, you can have a glow fit solution with a combination of 70% or 80% uh, you know, standard solutions plus 20 to 30% customized solution. That will really help you to make your end users happy as well as implement a business uh, standard solution. The third one would be to have a cultural change, which is surely a crucial factor for the success of any digital transformation initiative. Um, if you want to find more about Hinduja Tech, please visit our sustainable website, hindujatech.com and follow us on LinkedIn page uh, to get instant updates about our company. Thank you. Fantastic. And what a nice way to end. So I think that's that's all for now. So thank you, first of all, to Samuel um, for your contribution. It's been a really interesting conversation, definitely from my side. I learned, learned a lot. So thank you again for taking part. And thank you to the audience for listening. And we'll speak again very soon. Thanks, Neil, for your thoughtful questions. Thanks for the opportunity. Appreciate it. Thank you. Bye.